0: Good to be with you today. Do we have our mic? And it is wonderful to share the platform with this group of, from Tacoma, or not from Tacoma. I'm sorry, from Spencerville Adventist Academy. I just wanted to see if you were with me or not. <laughs> is my microphone working? Okay, good. So I'd like to also uh, tell you how much Ann and I enjoy being part of this church. We enjoy the fellowship with each of you and also Chad, our committee made a good decision. We're happy every day and appreciate the ministry that you're uh, giving this church and also the ministry that your family brings to our church. So thank you very much. Today, we'd like to talk about the Gospel of John. A few years back, I found myself, it seemed as if I was was standing uh, next to a beautiful forest that was behind me. In front of me was a landscape of the Swiss Alps. Unfortunately, I didn't pull out my cell phone and take a picture. I know that some of you will find this hard to believe, but back then nobody thought of adding a camera to a cell phone. And so I can't just simply forward the picture to you, which I'd like to do so that you can share the occasion with me, but what I would like to do is is kind of describe the situation. Here I was, as I said, in the Swiss Alps. It appeared as if I was in the Swiss Alps. Uh, There were mountains coming in from several sides a beautiful blue sky above the mountains, dotted with little puffs of clouds here and there. Where the mountains came together, there was a very large waterfall that was cascading down over the cliffs and finally bouncing onto the rocks and making its way into a beautiful crystal clear lake, a nice turquoise color. To the left was the outlet of the lake and a fairly rushing stream going down a fairly steep incline, rolling over the boulders. To the right, a small little stream, stream coming in front of us, and just beyond that, a very quaint forest with lots of boulders, uh, moss on the forest and on the bo- on the boulders, and. Some of the boulders were flat enough for having a picnic lunch, and indeed there was a family sitting there enjoying their lunch together in this very unique setting. Now, alas, I was not standing in the Swiss Alps. I was standing in Tehran in a Persian carpet shop, looking at a beautiful Persian rug that was depicting this scene. The artist that laid out the carpet did such an incredible job that he was able to take me back into the scene sitting there in the Swiss Alps. Well, today, as, as I looked at that piece of art, I, I could have concentrated on the details. I could have concentrated on how many knots per square inch What are the kinds of dyes that are used? Uh, What are the materials that are used? Is it wool, is it silk, is it cotton? How about the backing? Is the backing strong enough so that the the carpet will have a long life? Instead, I chose to step back and attempt to see the whole of the picture, to take in the breadth of what the artist was attempting to convey, To see how various themes in the picture came together. The the blue in the sky reflected in the lake, the the white in the clouds also again reflected in the waterfall and in the rushing water in the stream that was taking place here. The forest that, that was behind me was also reflected elsewhere in the steep mountains. And then the idyllic scene of the family having lunch together. I'd like to bring us another piece of art. This is a piece of art not painted with a canvas, uh, not taken from a photographer's camera, not woven into a carpet, but a piece of art in language, in words. The Gospel of John is an incredible piece of art. It's a wonderful piece of literature. There are many different aspects to the Gospel of John. We'll try to pick out one today, but just picture yourself, say, at a beautiful garden at one of the castles in Europe that has many trails going through it, and these trails intersect and intertwine and interrelate with one another in such a way that they enhance the beauty of that garden. So in the Gospel of John, there are many, many themes that come together and intersect with each other and intertwine with each other and enhance uh, our understanding of who Jesus is. So why did John write his gospel? Did he simply want to tell us about uh, the history of the life of Christ? Did he want to tell us that Christ was a miracle worker? Did he want to describe the conflict within the disciples or or the tension between himself, between Jesus and the Pharisees. Well, fortunately, John himself tells us why he wrote his gospel. And so let's start with that. Let's turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. I appreciate the excellent reading of that passage. And truly, Jesus did many other, what? Signs, okay? Many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in the book, but these are written that what? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you what? Might have life in his name. So John is telling us that there are many signs that Christ Performed. In fact, in chapter 21, he tells us there are so many signs that Christ performed that if, if he were to write about all of them, it would fill the whole world, as it were. But he chose these specifically. Why? Because they help us know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, and so that we might respond with belief in him and thus have life through his name. So let's take a look at the very first of the miracles in chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me mention or reinforce that there are so many different themes in the Gospel of John that intersect each other. And when we find a theme that intersects with this, the theme of signs and miracles, I will point out that theme just for your future reference when you're studying the Gospel of John yourself. But here, chapter 2, it starts out actually with another theme. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. What happens on the third day? That's a theme in the Gospel of John. The resurrection of Christ takes place on the last day. Of course, there are other things that take place on the third day as well but it looks forward to the resurrection of Christ, and that's a recurring theme within the gospel on the third day. Okay, so on the third day, of course, here we're talking about the wedding, the wedding at Cana. Christ and his disciples were, were there. They were invited. And this is the miracle of the changing of the water to wine. The Greek word there, just as kind of an aside, is enos, which can connote both fresh or fermented Juice. So this doesn't necessarily mean that Christ turned the water into fermented juice, but uh, the the wedding ceremony was in a crisis because they were running out of the wine, and so they were desperate to try to resolve this situation. It was an embarrassing situation, and so they came to Jesus to see if there was something He could do to help. Now, there were six stone water pots fairly nearby, each holding 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And they did that. And then Jesus said, take from those pots and present it to the master of the feast. When the master of the feast tasted the drink, he was surprised. And he said to the bridegroom, He said in verse 10, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have drunk well, then that which is inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. Well, let's take a look at several of the aspects of this miracle that point to Jesus as the Messiah. Remember, that's why John wrote his gospel. That's why he chose this miracle to tell us that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you think of anything in the Old Testament that parallels the miracle here at Cana? There was the changing of the river Nile to blood, which was a miracle that took place under the prophetic ministry of Moses and So here, Christ is represented as doing something similar to what Moses did, and that is the changing of the water to wine. Now Moses, who was Moses? He was the savior of Israel, right? He's the one that took Israel out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. Moses was a type of the Messiah that was to come. And so here, John is taking us back to recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that role because he fulfills the type that Moses had given. In addition, there's the water pots that were for ceremonial purposes. Remember, the religion of that day had piled regulation upon regulation and ceremony upon ceremony. They were not for washing of hands, as we think, Before we eat a meal to make sure that we have cleaned our hands but rather they were for ceremonial purposes and so here we find Jesus taking the water of those pots and transforming it into new wine representing that Jesus came to to transform our religion into a more meaningful religion and finally You would think maybe the best would be set out at the beginning, but here it is set out for the last. Now, finally, the Messiah has come. Finally, the best has come. Now, notice the response that took place in verse 11. This is the beginning of signs. Did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifest his glory? And what happened? The disciples believed in him. Now, why did John give us his gospel? Why did he write his gospel? In order that you might believe in him. And so here we see the response to the first sign is that the disciples of Christ respond to Christ and accept him as the Messiah. The next The next miracle is in chapter 4. I want you to notice it's almost like as if John is taking a yellow marker and, and marking for us so that we won't miss the point that he's trying to make. So Jesus came again to where? To Cana of Galilee, where he had done what? Turned the water to wine. So here John is wanting to make sure we capture the point that he's making, that he has chosen this sign because it helps us to know who Jesus is. And that the first one took place at Cana, and now this is the second of the miracles. There was a nobleman whose son was sick. The nobleman came to Jesus and asked that Jesus would go down and heal him because his son was near death. And... The answer of Jesus helps us understand how to relate to the miracles. Do we come to the miracles and and say, I want a miracle so that I can believe? Or do we believe and then see the miracles? And Jesus chided the gentleman a little. He said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Well, the man recognized his unbelief And he immediately said to Jesus, sir, come down ere my child dies. And Jesus said, go your way. Your son lives. The result of this miracle in verse 53, the last half, and he himself believed and his whole household. Remember the first miracle, the disciples believe. The second one, the nobleman believes. And then notice verse 54. This again is what? The second miracle that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The third miracle is in chapter 5. This is a fairly complex miracle. Well, not the miracle itself, but the rest of the chapter is a fairly complex chapter. And so let me give you a little bit of historical background so that we can understand what's happening here in this chapter. First of all, as we've already said, there were many rules and regulations that were developed as to how to to carry out one's religion. And especially on the Sabbath, there were multitudes of of regulations. Uh, On the Sabbath, you could walk so far, but no further, unless you happen to take a lunch with you, in which case you can sit down and eat the lunch, and then you can walk a little bit further. There are some things you can do in the home that you can't do outside the home on the Sabbath day. Uh, You can heal a person under certain conditions on the Sabbath day. But if that condition is not an emergency, then you have to wait until the next day of the week to heal that person. And so here we have the man by the pool of Bethesda. He's been hoping to be healed by getting into the pool. Uh, when it is disturbed, and Jesus comes by, and he says, would you like to be made well? Well, obviously the man would like to be made well, but he was not able to get into the pool in time to be made well, and so Jesus said, rise, take up your bed, and walk, and immediately the man arose, took up his bed, and walked. Now, there was a problem Why was there a problem? This was the Sabbath. Did this man need to be healed on that day? He had been lame for 38 years. Now, it would have been too bad, of course, for him to be lame for another day, but if the emergency uh, had come up to the hospital with this man and there were others that were more serious, they would have obviously laid him aside. So, so this was not an, a miracle that had to take place on the Sabbath day. So the man took up his bed and walked and the Pharisees, the Jews it says, found him carrying his bed and they said it's not lawful to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. Now remember, a bed is not, was not a mattress like we have today. It would have been a mat of some sort, a light little thing. And uh, so he said well the person who said take made me well said take up your bed and walk and then they said okay so who is the man that said to you take up your bed and walk another subtheme in the gospel of john who is jesus where is he from why is he here what is his mission uh, where is he going And so here, who is this man who said to you? And that gives John the opportunity to tell us. So this miracle is told because John wants to tell us who Jesus is. Remember, he said, I chose out of all the miracles that Jesus performed, I chose these because they tell us who Jesus is. Okay, so how does this miracle tell us that Jesus is the Messiah in order that we might have life? through his name. Again, coming to the historical background, as, as the, the rabbis had developed all of these rules for keeping the Sabbath, uh, they began to turn their attention, at least in part, to the question of what is it lawful for God to do on the Sabbath day? And one of the questions was, is it lawful for God to give life on the Sabbath Now that might seem a little trite to us, but for them, that was a very serious question. In fact, just before the birth of Christ, a few years before, Rome asked the Jews to send some rabbis to Rome to discuss the Jewish religion. See, the Jewish religion was never totally comfortable within the Roman Empire. There was always a little bit of tension. And so one of the questions that the Romans asked the Jews is, is it lawful for God to sustain life on the Sabbath day? Now, why was that question important for the Jews? Well, if the Jews said no, it's not lawful for God to sustain life on the Sabbath day, then the Romans would say, well, why would we want your religion within our kingdom? On the other hand, if they said, yes, it is lawful, well, then the question would be, why can't you sustain life on the Sabbath day? And so they were caught there. How are they going to answer this? Well, they had a clever little answer. They went back to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah says that the earth is God's footstool. Now, where is a footstool? It's in the home, right? Okay, and there are things you can do in the home that it's not lawful for you to do outside of the home. Therefore, it's lawful for God to sustain life on the Sabbath day. Now, obviously, this is, you know, seems a little little, uh, contrived to us. But as I say, this was a serious question for them. Another question at the time was, is it lawful for God to give judgment on the Sabbath day? So here, now that we have that background, let's come back to, the, to John here. Uh, the discussion is going back and forth, back, back and forth uh, between the, the Pharisees and Jesus. And Jesus finally says in verse 17, but my father has been working until now and I have been working. Now, the Jews recognized this as a claim of divinity. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then he went on to explain that he and and the father were one, that they worked together, uh, and that God would show them even greater works than these that they may marvel. Why did John choose this miracle? It gives him an opportunity now to tell us about the greater works that Jesus would do in order that they might marvel. Uh, In verse 24, we cross another path here. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word The word word occurs many times in the Gospel of John, referring to the power and the authority of the word of Christ and the words of his Father God. So most assuredly, I say to you, he he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has what? Everlasting life. Which, remember, that's why John chose this sign in order that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and have life through his name. Another theme that we cross within these verses in verse 33 is the theme of testimony. There are many testimonies in the Gospel of John, uh, including the testimony of Nicodemus, including the testimony of Pilate, and many others. And here we see verse 33. You have sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth, yet you have not received his testimony. Uh, And then moving down to verse 36, but I have greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And then Christ goes on and says, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life, and yet the scriptures point to me, And yet, you don't receive me. And then he says, Moses also pointed to me. Moses also believed in me. If you don't accept me, you are rejecting Moses. And so we see that this miracle is not simply to tell us that Jesus was capable of, of healing a man who had been lame for 38 years. This, the reciting of this miracle gave the, John the opportunity of opening up a whole uh, host of things which help us understand who Jesus is, that indeed Jesus is one with the Father, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Savior of the world, that we can have life through his name. The next miracle is found in chapter 6. We'll start with verse 2. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the what? They saw the signs that he had performed. This miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. Can you think of something in the Old Testament that would resemble the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? The manna, okay? I heard a number of you say manna. The manna, again, associated with Moses. It's associated with the exodus of Israel from Egypt with their salvation. And so here Christ is doing something similar to what Moses had done, and that is providing them food. And they recognize that as a sign of the Messiah. For them, of course, the Messiah was going to be a king who would throw off the Roman rule and so in verse 15 therefore the Jews perceived or therefore Jesus perceived that they were about to take him by force to make him king and departed again to the mountain and so they were they wanted to make him king because it seemed like he was the fulfillment of the messianic promises of the promise from their perspective that a king would come and would save them from the Romans. Again, this miracle gives John the opportunity of telling us a number of other things. The I am sayings. Remember uh, when Moses went to the burning bush, the person who identified himself in the burning bush said what? I am. Okay, so here Christ is identifying with this I am the bread of life, I am the water of life, I am the light of the world. Then it also gives John the opportunity of bringing in some more testimony. Let's start with verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And notice again that theme of word that we find throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, and then moving down to verse. Let's see. Then Jesus said to the twelve, verse sixty-seven, Do you also want to go away? By the way, we see that as we come to the to the healing to the feeding of the five thousand. Some believed, but some started going away. They were not willing to accept that Jesus was the bread of life. And so some started departing from Christ because of this miracle. Uh, And here Jesus said, uh, are you also going to go away? Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the the Christ, the Son of the living God. Again, fulfilling the purpose for which John wrote his gospel. The next miracle is in chapter 8. It's the healing, uh, the giving of sight to the man who is blind. And the chapter starts out, the disciples ask the question, who sinned? This man or his parents and Christ said neither but that the glory of God might be manifest and then Jesus anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay the man went to the pool of Siloam and washed and then when he came back his neighbors were quite surprised that he could see and they asked him about that they said how is it that that you were healed and so he described what Christ had done But there was a problem. What was the problem? It was on the Sabbath day that this healing took place. Now you would think people would be rejoicing, and as a matter of fact, some people did. Some people accepted Christ as the Messiah because of this miracle. But others said he must be a sinner because he performed this healing on the Sabbath day. Then there was a major discussion that took place between this man and, and his parents and the scribes and the Pharisees. It's, it's almost humorous. They asked him three times to recount how he had been healed. And then they asked him whether or not they thought that the man who healed him was a prophet. But they didn't wait for the answer. But instead, they said, we don't believe that you were blind to begin with. We think this whole thing is made up. So they went to his parents and said, is this your son? And they said, yes. And they said, was he blind? And they said, yes. But his parents immediately said, we don't know how he was healed because they were afraid of the scribes and the Pharisees who would kick them out of the temple if they confessed Jesus. And so then they came to the man again and asked him again how he had been healed Uh, and they asked him about the status of the person who had healed him and he said I don't know you know who it is who healed me remember this question who is Jesus where is he from I don't know who it is who healed me but it's amazing that you don't know here you are you are rulers in Israel and he healed me. And you don't know who he is. And he said, though I was blind, now I see. Which, of course, is what John would like each of us to respond to. Once we were blind, but now we see. There's another theme in the Gospel of John, and that is that Christ is the light of the world. And when Christ came, men preferred darkness rather than light. And so here is a gentleman who was brought into the light and wanted to live in the light. Again, he didn't know who Jesus was uh, because uh, when, at the time when he was healed, he was not within the presence of Jesus. And so, <clears throat> let me see if I can pick up the spot here. So basically, when they kicked the man out of, out of the uh, temple... Jesus found out that he had been kicked out of the temple. So Jesus came and said, Do you believe uh, in the Messiah? And he said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And then Jesus responded, I am he. And then the man worshipped God and Christ as a result of that. And then finally, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, say, they asked uh, the, the Lord said, uh, For judgment I have come into this world, that though, this is verse 39, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And some of the Pharisees were nearby, and they said, Are we also blind? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. The last miracle is the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus in chapter 11. And here, as you recall, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were close friends of Christ. While Christ was on an itinerary, Lazarus became sick, seriously sick. Uh, Christ was informed, and he waited a few days before he went down. The disciples asked why, and he said that the glory of God, remember another theme in the Gospel of John, that the glory of God might be manifest. And then when Christ uh, was near their home, Martha came out when she heard that he was coming, and she said um, in verse 21, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And so again, the recounting of this miracle gives John the opportunity of reciting the words of Christ, that he is the resurrection of life. So they went to the tomb. Christ wanted the door. The the rock moved aside. And they said, oh, we can't do that. It's been four days. And Jesus, of course, insisted. Lazarus was resurrected. And what was the result? Many people believed, but they also began in serious to plan the death of Christ because of the resurrection of Lazarus. As a matter of fact, not only the the death of Christ, they also actually planned to take the life of Lazarus because they were concerned. They said the whole world is wandering after him and the Romans will come and take our place because of the fact that Christ is gathering the whole world unto himself. Well, if John we're presenting this message this morning. I think he might end with one of the testimonies. Testimony of the woman at the well in chapter 4. Remember, she was a Samaritan woman. Christ was sitting by the well while his disciples had gone into uh, the city, and this woman came out to, to get some water, and Christ asked for a drink. They started up a conversation, and at one point, Christ revealed to her that he knew that she had had five husbands and was now living with a man who was not her husband. And she immediately left her water pot. That is, she left her past life. She ran into the the city and said, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Is this not the Messiah? And the villagers came out and spent three days with Jesus. And then they said, First of all, we believed based upon your word. They were talking to the woman. We believe based upon your word, but now we have met him for ourselves, and we believe that Jesus is the Messiah of the world and of our personal Messiah as well. And so I think John would say, when you read my gospel, I would hope that you would believe because of the testimony that I bring to you. But then I would hope that you would become acquainted with Jesus himself and that you would believe because you know him to be your personal savior.